Loving and gracious God, having come together and sing praises to you, and having heard your scripture proclaimed, we pray that you might continue to speak to us in a new way. Change our perspectives that we might see and hear your grace and truth differently, that we might embody your love in the world. And may the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth be pleasing to you, O Lord, my God. Amen. Amen. Well, now that we have uh, Bree, our ministerial intern for the summer, I I forgot to introduce myself. I'm Pastor Brian. I'm pastor here at Kailua United Methodist Church. And Bree last week has continued our our series on global perspectives. We wanted to look at scriptures and similar scriptures or like scriptures familiar to us from a, a perspective other than our kind of whatever, for mine, Anglo-American perspective. I kind of grew up in that worldview. But before I go there, I want to just tell a little story. Has anyone ever found yourself in a place and didn't know before phones, right? Do you remember the time before you had an iPhone and or a Samsung and you couldn't just pull up your location and like find your way? Has anyone ever been lost before? Yeah? Okay. Has anyone ever refused to acknowledge that you're lost? Bethany never? Oh my gosh. I, I moved to North Carolina from, uh, well, I was in California and I was in Minnesota. And I was actually just back at both of those places over the past two weeks. I was visiting my family in Minnesota where I grew up. And I was in Southern California because I had a conference and I was visiting my wife's family. And, and one of the things every time I go back to those places is just the vastness, right, of the, of the landscape. You can look around and there's like land everywhere, right? Or now it's just like you got the mountain and the ocean. It's very condensed. But it's actually... Uh, something that I felt for a long time because I lived in North Carolina where I was going to Duke for seminary and then I was in Chapel Hill afterwards as a pastor. And what I didn't realize when I had moved to North Carolina was how difficult it was to navigate this town called Durham. They put together like the roads in the most obscure way. And the thing is, is that you couldn't find landmarks anywhere because the trees were just everywhere. Like every road had trees and you couldn't figure out like, hey, there's the water tower. Like I know which part of town I'm in. And I remember one time I was driving my wife and like we were like going to where I thought was chapel area. So like Duke area. And we ended up on completely opposite side of town. And I swear I was convinced the entire time I was headed the right way. And I don't know if it's a guy's thing that we didn't want to look at maps or if it's just in general, right? You know, like it just was an experience that I knew I was right until I realized I was very wrong, right? And it got reminded of me on like the rest of the drive that, you know, I probably should have followed the printed out instructions because, you know, that's what we did before the phones. We printed out MapQuest. Remember that time? Yeah. So, and I, and I think that just not acknowledging that you're wrong isn't just like a guy's thing or just like if I'm lost in a direction. It's just part of our humanity. We love to be right. In fact, when you look at our scripture the, from Genesis, not this scripture, but go back even further from the story of Adam and Eve and the original sin of when they ate of the tree of the apple, I remember the first time when I was retold that story from a different perspective. Because I had grown up hearing that this was the time when sin entered the world and death came and, and everything kind of went its way from there. But then someone told me a different perspective, and actually it wasn't a new perspective. It was one of the oldest ones that came from this early, one of the earliest Christian writers. The name was Irenaeus. And he talked about how that moment when we ate the apple was really just a mishap of when we decided that we wanted to know 
what was right and what was wrong. Because if you remember, the tree wasn't an apple, actually. It wasn't an apple tree. The tree was the tree of knowledge, of good and evil. That is, humans, we wanted to know what was right. And we thought that if we knew what was right, then we could choose what was good and what was bad in our lives. I mean, it's just, it's a normal desire that we have as humans. And as I, like, pondered that and I, like, kind of thought about it, I was just, that is something that we all want, right? We all want to kind of, like, have a, a sense of security and knowing where we're going is the right way. And having the tree of knowledge helps us get there. Of course, the whole point of the story of Adam and Eve and eating of the tree of knowledge is that humanity was never meant to know the right way on its own. That humanity was always meant to be in relationship with God and to be dependent on God guiding us. But the thing is, is that we get so set sometimes and we tell our stories in ways that kind of remind us of the way it had been in the past. And so this scripture today is hard to read. The scripture of Sarai and Hagar, and it's just filled with all sorts of ugh, right? You know what I mean? Like you got the word slave that shows up like 10 times and, you know, came, Abram comes into Hagar and you, it's just got a lot going on in this text, right? So much so that we kind of avoid it a little bit. In fact, that's our tradition within the church, is the tradition within the church and how we viewed this moment of Abram and Sarai and the living into the promise of God for them was just a complete mistake. It was like the marks of sin all over it that we thought, and by we, Abram and Sarai thought, that instead of relying on God for God's promise of future progeny to come through Sarai, that they would take it into their own hands, that they would kind of figure out how to make this happen because this had, they had lived in this place, Canaan, long enough, and they had been waiting for God's words to come true. And Abram and Sarai were not spring chickens, and they were not hopeful that it was going to happen anytime soon. And so everything about this text within Christian narrative for so long has been around Sarai and Abram's mistake of Hagar. In fact, we, some the, the narration of Ishmael is that, you know, everyone's hand is going to be against this child because he is simply the product of a mistake that was made. And that may or may not have been your reading of this scripture, and, that, and that's totally fine. But I know for me that that was just kind of like the go-to. And I was just like, okay, Abram and Sarah made a mistake, and then, you know, Isaac comes along, and then the story goes on. And on... But if you don't know that the, our Muslim neighbors and brothers and sisters actually trace their lineage back to Ishmael, this mistake. And so I was at Duke for grad school, and we took a class. Um, it was called Listening Together. It was taught by uh, you know, a revered Old Testament scholar alongside Duke's first Muslim professor that we had had, um, at least in the divinity department. He was a Muslim imam, which is a, a Muslim word for priest or pastor. And he was teaching the Old Testament alongside this professor. And we called it listening together. And the whole point of the class was to read our stories and then read the stories from the Quran 
and find out not who was right and who was wrong, but find out what we both can learn from one another. And that's when I realized that the story of Hagar was perhaps marred by my traditional understanding that Hagar was just a mistake. Because the Quran's narration of this story goes beyond. And so we had our story that comes to here, which is, you know, Sarai and Hagar, and they're figuring it out. And, you know, Hagar kind of has contempt, whatever that means in Hebrew, you know, like looks slightly on Sarai, or maybe Sarai just interpreted that. But later on, what ends up happening in the story within our Hebrew Bible tradition is that Abram eventually sends out Hagar and kind of like leaves her in the desert. And then she just sits in a bush and she starts crying out, like, how could I be left alone and abandoned? And then God comes and hears her cry. And she says that God like, will give like, him a multitude of nations. The exact same promise that was given to Abram and Sarai when they left for the land of Canaan was given to Ishmael as they cried out in disparity. And it was the first time, honestly, that I had heard that portion. I'd read it before, but I'd never really thought about what it meant. And then all of a sudden, I also picked up the Quran and read it even further. And now, friends, let me tell you about my preconceived notions about my Muslim brothers and sisters. I came to my kind of intellectual era in the time when 9-11 happened, right? As when I moved into kind of out of out, like concrete thinking into abstract thinking, I transitioned in adolescence, I graduated in 2003. So let's just say the narrative around Muslims was not the most positive narrative within America at the time, right? And right, there's a lot that's to unpack in that context. But I had come into faith and I'd known a little bit about the Muslim faith, and I just totally disagreed with it. Because there's some things that are just, you know, irreconcilable, right? Like, for example, I said that the Muslim brothers and sisters, they trace their lineage back to Ishmael. Well, it's not just that, but they also go on to say that Ishmael was the one that was offered up by Abraham as like a potential sacrifice, not Isaac, right? And that for me is like, okay, guys, come on. Prophet Muhammad was 600 years after Jesus, right? You know, and now you're going to come and you're going to tell me that the Hebrew Bible was wrong. They got the name wrong. I mean, so I was buying none of it, right? Like prior to this time, like I just, it's just great. We can maybe learn something, but we have a different faith and that's the world we lived in. Because if you know some, there are conflicts in the story, right? But then when we read together, I read the Quran's version of Hagar being sent off. They never mention her name in the Quran, but they do mention Ishmael. And as they get sent out, there's this moment when Hagar doesn't just stay where she's at, but Hagar actually gets up and she moves on to a hillside back and forth back and forth in search of water because the land that they had found themselves was desolate. And this story kind of like, as we learned about it and the Muslim imam that was teaching the class talked about the resilience of Hagar and how her faith led to kind of almost like the resilience of Mary 
whose faith and amidst all sorts of confusion and unknowns led to the birth of God's promise and future. That's how they saw Hagar. And so this woman who was a mistake, all of a sudden now was a pillar, was faithful, was honorable. And so much so that the land that she found herself in was this place called Mecca. Have you heard of it? Yeah? The land where she was at. And the Hajj, which is a pilgrimage, you know, one of the things that, you know, many Muslims throughout the world, you know, 24% of our global population would love to go to Mecca, to the Hajj. And one of the steps in that journey is to go between the hillsides. They circle around kind of the, the box right in the center, and you perhaps have seen the images. And then from there, they move on to follow the journey of Hagar, to live into the resilience and the faithfulness of this woman desperately trying to care for her child. And friends, there's differences, right? Like I told you, all the differences. But when I heard that story, and I had the Muslim imam teach that to me, I was invited then to go back and to read the scripture. And what I had seen as a mistake, or at least sometimes, you know, this like kind of aggression almost of Hagar in contempt of Sarai and wanting to have her power, all of a sudden I reread this story, and perhaps you saw it, but the amount of like stuff this woman was put through, and the faithfulness that she had just to continue to even pray in the wilderness to God after God's chosen one abandoned her in the desert. And that through all of it, this woman models faithfulness. And it's not just in their tradition. But if you go back and you read Genesis 16, and you continue to read, I think it's in 21, you'll start to reimagine Hagar from a totally different perspective. She can go from being a mistake to being someone of faithfulness. But friends, I was blinded to that reality because I was right in my understanding and what good can come from a people who have a totally different understanding of the Bible and history. Just recently on uh, Instagram, uh, I got shown by a friend this video and it talked about um, people who are neurodivergent. It's a word that back when I was growing up, I don't think that we had that word. We just had ADD and ADHD, right? Like that's what people talked about when I was a kid. And I, you did not want to have either of those, at least in my hometown, because it really just meant that you're the kid that usually got taken out of the classroom to go to like the special classroom where you could get extra help because you couldn't like hack it with everyone else, right? And they would be sometimes the fun kids, but oftentimes sometimes teased for whether or not they were smart or not. And one of my dearest friends, one of the friends I visited back in Minnesota, he found himself kind of in that like world and stigmatized as, you know, ADHD. Well, I don't know if you knew this, but it's now like trendy lately to say you have ADHD. There's actually a whole article on like my newsfeed that showed up about this movement where people are like, I have ADD and I have ADHD. And they talk about their coping skills and they talk about their mechanisms and they post about it on Facebook. There's like these people that like, this is their jam on Instagram reels and Facebook stuff is to kind of joke about their both 
complications, but then also their unique ways of seeing the world. Well, anyway, someone sent me this video about this like neuropsychologist that talks about people that are neurodivergent, ADHD, ADD, people that are on the autism spectrum. And she talks about it, and she, her whole goal is to reframe our imagination around these particular individuals. And she's doing this really interesting research around how the genetic connection between some of these neurodivergent like, people has gone back for centuries and even millennia, right? Like that these people, she argues, she thinks had an essential role in the development of our human experience. I don't remember the exact detail around where, like, how they started to recognize some people were just wanderers a bit more than others, right? They just couldn't stay put, right? But she had talked about that being potentially a connection to those with ADHD and kind of just moved in some of our journeying endeavors as humanity. And then some of the most brilliant people that have lived in history probably were on the spectrum at some level because they were able to focus so intensely into something and develop it so acutely. My cousin's child in Minnesota is on that sort of spectrum, but he's able to, he's taking college courses as like a seventh grader, eighth grader, right? Like a college math course. And the whole point that she was trying to make was simple. What if we stopped seeing neurodivergency as a problem or something to make fun of, but as a superpower. What if I would have seen the friends in high school that got taken out of the class for the special room as potential gifts that we needed, perspectives on how not just to think, but how to live, what if I was able to shift my mentality from what was to what could be? That's the exact same thing that we're talking about with this global perspectives and also with this story of Hagar. I knew how to understand her prior. But then this perspective from our Muslim brothers and sisters teaching me about the Bible, what? All of a sudden opened an entirely new way of seeing her and the thing is, is Hagar didn't change. The Bible's account of Hagar didn't change. What changed was me and how I approached it. With our neurodivergent friends, it's not going to be them that need to conform and need to change. It's perhaps our perspective of them, the way that we support and engage them. And it's not just that. That's an example of people that have been kind of segmented out in our society. But what if we're able to relook at ourselves that way as well? Because we tell ourselves things all the time, like, I'm not, you know, good enough, or I wish I was, you know, a little bit younger, a little bit more fit, a little bit, you know, higher up in rank, or whatever it is. And what if we're able to see ourselves not in our you know, absences or scarcity mode, but in our strengths. I think we might be able to live differently in the world if we see ourselves in the goodness and the hope that we have for ourselves. And if we see our neighbors, and if we reimagine some of these people and the stories around their lives. 
The last story I'll tell is a story of someone I was uh, doing chaplaincy in North Carolina. And every week he would show up. He was a homeless guy because I was at a drop-in center, crisis center, where people could come and get support, whether it was medical or food or all these things. And I, I heard his story and he would tell me about it. And the more I met with him and the more I gathered about him, I saw how his life's past and the traumas that he had lived it were ones that led him to his place that he now found himself at. But what he needed was not someone to fix his problems, to tell him what the right course was. He truly just needed someone to see the good in him. To see him good. And as we started to find space together for him to see himself differently, the work of God was in the room transforming him, but also me. How do we allow that work to happen in ourselves? I'll tell you one way. It's listening better. And listening to people who are different than you. Another way is to stop with our obsession about being right all the time. And getting into arguments about like how I how like this is the way or no this is the way, and to open ourselves to the Holy Spirit to change us, and to change the way we view ourselves, our family, our neighbors, and the world. I invite you to pray with me. Holy and gracious God, we give thanks that your profound love can change us. As hard as we try to know the way, the truth, you remind us that you are the way and the truth. And since the beginning of our journey with you, you've sought for us to rely on you as opposed to relying on ourselves open our minds, open our vision, open our ears to the perspectives that come from those with different stories, different traditions. And let us see the good in one another and the world around us and in ourselves. Amen.